This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's Thursday, December 2nd. Good morning and welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you. On Thursdays, we always remember the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday by our Lord Jesus Christ. We begin each hour every day in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of life and the unborn, and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, in this year of St. Joseph, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we've been talking about uh, all day yesterday and uh, the first hour of the show, uh, yesterday was a big day for our nation. The U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments in the Dobbs versus Jackson case, a case that could finally overturn Roe v. Wade. Myra Rodriguez, the former Planned Parenthood Employee of the Year and Clinic Director, who's now a pro-life leader, well, she was in Washington, D.C. yesterday, and she spoke to us after the Dobbs hearing at the Supreme Court. Today, we went um, outside of the Supreme Court and the Rally for Life. Um, the BCCP AG, um, Attorney General, you know, surprised us. She opened up with her remarks before walking into the court this morning. And then we got to hear a few speakers. I mean, it, Abby Johnson was there. Avida King got to speak. I mean, so many great women. They were all women that lined up to speak. And then we had some members of Congress. Of course, I had to be the last one, so I closed the the line of speakers at the end of the event, um, you know, but it was all to empower. Of course, the other side was there, but the other side were, um, you know, not as active as I remember them to be. Just because, just so you know, last time I was here doing this, it was in 2017, along with Cecile Richards and Plum Parenthood advocating for the other side. So you can imagine my feeling today when I was on the pro-life side advocating for the exact opposite of what I was doing in 2017, and I recall having so much women and so many people for Planned Parenthood in 2017, and I didn't see that today. It was definitely the pro-life side was bigger, and you can see the wave of blue, which, by the way, was amazing how a lot of people wore blue, uh, because the AG requested that, the Attorney General from Mississippi, and, you know, and the message was, we want to empower women the right way. We want to tell women that abortion is not necessary that abortion is not needed, that we can help them and save both lives. So basically that's what we did all day. It, it was a long day. Uh, Attorney General came out after 
they were done with the hearing and she gave a speech and, and just empowering and keep uh, inspiring people. You know, we're so grateful for her fight. Uh, you know, what we did notice was that the other side actually don't know what is going on. You know, when you when we got to encounter a few of them, they're like, do you do know this is about stopping abortions at 15 weeks? They're like, what? And, and then when you explain them what the Mississippi thing is about, then they get shocked. You know why? Because, again, the media, Planned Parenthood, the women's organization has been feeding them lies. You know, I overheard them say, like, oh, they want to send us back to Yale. Again, no woman has gone to Yale from having an abortion, basically nowhere in the world. Actually, women have been in prison in China for not wanting to have an abortion, as you must know. You know, and also um, one of the remarks during the Supreme Court hearing, I don't know if you heard this, but it was about how comparing the United States with Korea and China of how extreme they are on abortion and how we're so behind compared to a a lot of European countries, you know, how 75% of the countries actually stop abortions in the first trimester. And uh, those were the comments of Mirna Rodriguez, the former Planned Parenthood Employee of the Year, uh, who was outside the Supreme Court yesterday and saw with her own eyes uh, just uh, how uh, amazing uh, the pro-life movement uh, is, how fired up the movement is. Uh, so many people uh, coming together and um on this, uh, on this same uh, page, uh, wishing and hoping and praying uh, for uh, Roe v. Wade uh, to be overturned. The, the case is now in the hands of uh, the Supreme Court justices. Uh, they're going to be talking about it uh, for the next few days. Uh, a lot can happen between now and next summer. Uh, there's a decision that's expected to come sometime, perhaps at the end of June. And so uh, there's going to be a lot to discern, a lot to talk talk about, to, to write about, and uh, as the justices go back and forth, uh, we, we don't know what's going to happen, but uh, we definitely, one thing we do know is that we need to to pray, uh, continue to pray and ask our Blessed Mother's intercession that the justices uh, be wise, that the justices be courageous, and that they make the right decision. This is, uh, this is a big deal, as we've been talking about uh, yesterday and uh, this morning on, on the show. So uh, again, I just urge you to continue to pray. It, it, this is still a long way to go before that final uh, decision by the Supreme Court uh, next summer. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus the Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Our Lord Jesus Christ reminds us that it's not good enough to say, Lord, Lord, we must do God's will and not just give him lip service to enter the kingdom of heaven. As we prepare for Christmas during this Advent season, let's make sure that uh, there be no lip service in our Christmas preparation. Let's totally give our lives to Jesus and be his witnesses so that we can have a joyful and a holy Christmas season. And we always pray with with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. 
Now, Pope Francis is asking Catholics to pray in December that catechists will witness to the gospel with courage and creativity. The Holy Father made the appeal in his December prayer intention, which he shared on an accompanying video via Twitter on November 30th. And joining us now to talk about Pope Francis' prayer intention for December and the importance of catechists and the catechism for our children is Bishop Edward Scharfenberger, the Bishop of the Diocese of Albany. New York and a regular contributor to 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 Morning Air. Your Excellency, uh, happy Advent! Welcome back to Morning Air. It's a joy to be with you once again. Good morning. Good, great to be here too, and with all our listeners. Uh, uh, and uh, I am so enthusiastic about this prayer intention of our Holy Father because, as you know, uh, this is really what. Uh, Primarily, what the Vatican Council Number Two is really all about. It was about uh, evangelization and about the mission of every disciple of Christ to bring uh, Christ's presence, His teaching, uh, and uh, the reality of His uh, His um, love for each every person uh, in this world into the world through, through the example of our everyday lives and the uh, the role of the catechist in particular. Uh, is uh, more than just a question of teaching. It's a question of actually uh, making that presence felt by the example of their lives in very, very creative ways, you know. Uh, you might be aware, as I'm sure many of our listeners are, uh, as well, that uh, over the years, the uh, popes have been encouraging uh, various uh, events that would uh, sort of stimulate the faith, particularly of young people, such as World Youth Day, you know, and the uh, gathering of the international gathering of families, so that people could not only learn uh, about their faith and have it strengthened, you know, by the teaching, uh, but also by prayer and by the sharing of experience to see how that faith is actually lived out. So it's a, um, it's basically a call for everybody to evangelize. Now we're praying particularly for catechists. Who are catechists? Catechists are people that are uh, specifically designated. Uh, as uh, by as a specific ministry in the church, to be able to facilitate uh, the spread of the gospel and uh, a deeper knowledge of Christ and the teachings of the church. So uh, that's what we're praying for. And as you know, uh, most of our catechists are, are, are laypersons, and of course, that's uh, the heart of the new evangelization. That it's every disciple's uh, responsibility to somehow spread the gospel. By prayer, by 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 example, and uh, and of course by uh, by witness to uh, to the faith in our lives. So we're praying for those that do this every day. They do it in Catholic schools, but they do it also uh, outside of that context. And you know, some of the uh, ways in which we do uh, Catholic schooling is not confined only to schools, but also to uh, uh, to many parish programs that we have sometimes after school. Um, <clears throat> after-school uh, uh, catechesis, uh, formerly used to be known as CCD, you know, but it doesn't happen just on Wednesdays. I remember when I was when I was going to school, we used to have release time. Remember that? It was it used to be on Wednesday. In some states, uh, you would send the Catholic school kids home at 2 o'clock, and then the public school kids would come in, and then they would teach them uh, catechism, you know. But we've expanded well beyond... Uh, an understanding of catechism is just like an, an hour of class. 
it's actually something that is, uh, we've found many creative ways of doing it. Excellency, I'm, I'm smiling from here to here. You, you remind me of when I was in a Catholic grammar school at St. Gregory, the great uh, grammar school on the north side of Chicago. Uh, the, the sisters used to talk about the publics and the Catholics. And the, so Remember the, that. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that reminds me of. Um, Excellency, can you talk about uh, just how challenging it is uh, down on the ground, you know, on the front lines for these catechists in, in everyday life? Uh, they, they have a big mission. They have a big job, big responsibility to educate these these young kids. Uh, my wife actually uh, ran a religious education program in, in a parish here uh, in the yeah. Archdiocese of Chicago for uh, over eight sure. years. And so I got to see firsthand the dedication of these catechists and how they prepare and spend uh, so much time on, on Sunday mornings, especially uh, with the young kids. Yes, it takes a lot of creativity. And it's, you know, it's, it's very, very much a listening experience because uh, our, our children you know, are exposed to uh, uh, various sources in the media, in the culture, that uh, have a view of human persons, which is, uh, I, I, I guess I could put it this way, a little bit smaller, you know, to be charitable than our view of a human person. For example, like, we, we have a unique view of a human being as being, uh, every human being as being created in the image and likeness of God, as having a, 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 a an eternal destiny, you know, is not being confined only to this material life as we know it. Uh, we also believe that God, that Jesus, is, is actively involved in our lives, you know, and he loves us, but not only created us, but also gave himself to us, you know, through, actually through the sacramental life of the Church and through prayer, so we can encounter God in our relationships and in our prayer life and in our communion, you know, communion. So uh, this is something which is um, uh, is foreign to a very secular culture, which tends to see a human being in, a, in purely biological terms. You know, in terms of our our, our appetites, our material appetites, in terms of the, the money we make. You know, the people we know, the positions we acquire. It's very two dimensional, if you will. And one of the things that a, a catechist tries to do is to open up in a young person's or an older person's heart, a sense of having a, a destiny, a purpose, uh, a meaning that is beyond only what we see, you know, with our, with our, uh, with our senses or feel through our, our desires to ex- kind of expand our horizons. So <clears throat> uh, how that actually translates into, uh, into behavior is how we regard uh, as every human being uh, with great respect and great dignity. So um, every human being, regardless of their physical condition, whether they're, uh, you know, many, many of us in many different ways um, are handicapped in some way. I'm using that word specifically because, uh, you know, we sometimes think of disabled uh, as, as people or people with disabilities, uh, as people that have some sort of a, you know, a physical ailment and therefore uh, physical condition, and therefore that separates them from everyday life in the community. They have to be treated differently. But uh, one of the things that we can overlook is that all of us are broken in some way. You know, it may not be physically, but it could be emotionally. It could be because of a loss of a relationship. It could be an economic uh, situation that has gotten us down. It could be depression. It could be a struggle with some form of addiction. You know, if we look at our lives, 
there's hardly any of us that at some point have not felt, you know what, something is incomplete in me. Something is not healed. Something is broken. And I need to be touched, you know, by by that healing uh, grace that that, uh, that I know in faith that God will give. So uh, it's, it's to open up the sense of uh, every human being is an incomplete project and that God isn't finished with us and will touch us and heal us and make whole those parts that are broken and that need to be put back together again, uh, you know, after we've been wounded. So uh, it's a, uh, uh, a call to see human beings as much, much more than just um, uh, pegs in a machine and an economic machine, much, much, much more than just uh, uh, stepping blocks to get to the next step. That every human being has a dignity in their own right, has a name, is loved by God. This, this idea of the human person, which is so much broader than we often see in the world around us, which can be so, um, so exploitative and utilitarian of individuals, is something that we try to expose our people, young people, to, that everyone has a purpose, that God loves them, and that if they uh, walk with the Lord, uh, we'll help one another to find how we fit in. We're joined this morning by uh, Bishop Edward Scharfenberger, the Bishop of the Diocese of Albany, New York, and uh, Excellency. Uh, earlier this year, Pope Francis, uh, understanding this call for uh, evangelization, instituted a new ministry of catechists for lay people uh, who have a particular call to serve the, the church as a teacher of the faith. So this uh, prayer intention for this month really ties into what he did earlier this year. That's correct. And, you know, it's interesting to see that this flows right out of the Second Vatican Council, because at the beginning of the council, uh, Pope John, Pope St. John uh, the XXIII uh, made it a, a priority to say that the purpose of the, of the council would be evangelized. In other words, to bring the, uh, the good news to the modern world in a way that this world can understand. And the catechism uh, is the fruit of that uh, of that. Uh, of that uh, that call uh, to evangelize, in other words, it puts in, in an organized way what we have to say, but it is the role of the catechists to help uh, to bring that uh, message that is contained in the scriptures and articulated in the, in, in the catechism to bring that into the lives practically of those whom they catechize. But this is a big deal because it is uh, a promotion of the new evangelization, which uh, uh, is a call for every disciple of Christ to be involved in some way in the mission. And uh, our catechists embody this in a very special way. And Excellency, I, I love the, the timing of uh, this intention here uh, in December for the catechist because uh, it sets the stage uh, for the upcoming Eucharistic revival uh, that the bishops are calling for, that we're hoping to, to really focus on the source and summit of our Catholic faith, which is the Holy Eucharist. That's true, you know, and if you go back to the scriptures, you know, you're back to the Acts of the Apostles, I think it's chapter 2, verse 42, in which uh, the author of, of, of the Acts says that they were dedicated every day to the teaching of the Apostles, to the worship and prayer, the integration between our liturgy, our, the Mass, our prayer, our, our works of, the works of mercy that we practice in, in, uh, in, in bearing witness to the teachings of Christ and His presence in our midst. Excellency, if someone is listening and, and perhaps you've piqued their interest hey, about becoming a catechist, any uh, suggestions on uh, how to uh, uh, become a catechist? 
I would say you start every diocese is probably announcing this in in their own way, but I see you probably you start with your local parish, start with your local parish, give a call and speak with the parish leaders there, the priest or whoever is in charge of this formation, and then he or she will put the person in charge with uh, uh, with the uh, diocesan uh, office, most probably that is uh, coordinating the formation of catechists. But I'd say start with your local parish. Excellency, can you give us uh, your Advent blessing here for our audience? Very happy to do that. And my prayer is that everybody who hears this message will know that uh, Jesus is coming again to be born in our hearts, that our hearts may be open to receive the presence of our loving Lord to transform our lives and to make us all lights in this world that is so full of darkness, uh, and that we may bring that message of Christ, the love of Christ, to all whom we meet and grow in that conviction that each and every one of us is called and sent through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Excellency uh, Bishop Scharfenberger, thank you so much uh, for being with us uh, this morning. My pleasure. Thank you very much. God bless now. Many blessings uh, during this Advent season. Bishop Edward Scharfenberger, the Bishop of the Diocese of Albany, New York, and of course a regular contributor to Morning Air. We need to take a short break. Uh, When we come back, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, will be with us to talk about Advent traditions. This will be very uplifting. Stay with us. There's much more to come here as Morning Air continues after this. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us. Our number if you want to be part of the conversation. And yes, we're going to talk about Advent. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. And indeed, Advent is here. It's a time to prepare our hearts for the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the reason for the season, but how do we prepare? What are some practical ways to avoid putting Advent on the back burner? Because it's so easy to get bogged down with Christmas shopping and Christmas parties and office parties and all the stuff that's going on uh, during this month of December. So many other things. Now joining us with much more on Advent traditions is our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki. Father Kabicki is a Jesuit priest, the director of the St. Francis Mission on the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota, and a relevant radio contributor with his daily prayer reflections, as well as a longtime contributor to this program. Good morning, Father Kabicki. Happy Advent. Thanks for being with us once again. 
Good morning, John. Happy Advent. I'm glad that uh, we're talking about this, and and I I hope that we continue to talk because, you know, a lot of times as we get closer to Christmas, we forget that we're still in Advent. So it's really an important topic, I think, that we're having today is is how do we make the most of Advent and uh, what traditions have helped us, maybe in our families or uh, new traditions that we've just heard about that we're starting this year. Just what are the traditions that help us make a good Advent? Absolutely. And, you know, first of all, uh, as Catholics, uh, you know, we we don't start celebrating uh, Christmas right after Thanksgiving uh, like the rest of the world does. In fact, uh, there was Christmas decorations up well before Thanksgiving in many places. Uh, can you talk about for us what Advent actually means? Well, Advent, you know, it comes from a Latin word meaning coming, and what we're celebrating or anticipating is the coming of Christmas, the coming of the Messiah, the first coming of Jesus. But also, as we saw with last Sunday's readings, there's a very strong sense of the second coming, that we're also anticipating Jesus' return, which we talk about in the Creed. We talk about his coming again in glory at the end of time, at the end of the world. And, uh, you know, our our readings invite us to be prepared for that second coming by preparing ourselves to celebrate the birthday of our Savior. And I think a big part of uh, Advent is is trying to get in touch with the fact that uh, I need a Savior. And so to enter into the sense of longing, you know, the uh, Hebrew scriptures that we have, the readings from the Old Testament, from Isaiah in particular, uh, paint these pictures of uh, longing for a time of peace, a time when death will be no more. And that sense of longing for the Messiah to come to set things right in the world, to establish his kingdom forever, to uh, bring peace to the world, that sense of longing for a Messiah is, is, I think, part of what we really need to capture during Advent. Um, it's so easy to think, well, Jesus came, and yes, we're going to have a second coming, but um, in the meantime, we've got this long period where we're just sort of twiddling our thumbs, you know, um, and what we need to do is get into, again, that that sense of desire, the desire for Jesus to come to me in a special way this Christmas, to be ready to meet him in uh, his second coming, to be ready to meet him if he should come at the end of my life um, instead of the second coming. I gather that uh, most of us um, don't think that the end of the world is going to come very soon, but the end of our lives will come at some point, and so we need to be prepared to meet Jesus uh, when he comes to us, either at the end of the world or at the end of our earthly lives. Great reminder, we need to be watchful. No one knows the day or the hour, as our Lord uh, says in Scripture. Father, it's it's, uh, it's so easy to get caught up uh, in all the Christmas shopping, uh, the Christmas music, baking cookies, going to parties. Uh, do you have any suggestions of how we can make the most of this Advent? Well, I, I think for me, you know, one of the things that I'm doing, I, I picked up uh, a book for Advent and am trying to use it every day. Um, so to have some um, extra prayer that we're trying to do or spiritual reading that helps us focus, 
uh, that slows us down, that uh, gets us out of that frenetic mode that you were describing, John. Um, that, I think, is, is the key to making a good Advent, is, is to have a good spiritual reading book or um, uh, to take some extra time for prayer that helps us focus again on uh, what we're preparing for and uh, how Advent is not to be overlooked. Now, as a, as a good Jesuit priest, uh, Father, what does St. Ignatius of Loyola recommend uh, to do during the Advent season? Well, you know, St. Ignatius, in his spiritual exercises, uh, really invites the person who's making a retreat or who's praying in the Ignatian way to use the imagination and to try to imagine um, the scenes of the gospel. What, what's difficult for many of us is that, you know, we can read the gospel, but so much of the life of Jesus is hidden. And uh, the first nine months of his life are hidden in the sense that he was conceived, as tradition has it, on March 25th, and then nine months later he's born on Christmas Day, December 25th. And that period of, uh, let's say, the really, really hidden life of Jesus, where he's hidden in the womb of Mary, um, to try to imagine what that was like uh, for him developing in his mother's womb, what it was like for Mary uh, being pregnant. I think um, mothers who've had the experience of, of motherhood and pregnancy maybe can identify with Mary a little better in this regard. But to try to imagine uh, for, uh, for a moment Mary uh, racing from Nazareth when she finds out that, she, uh, that her co cousin Elizabeth is pregnant and she races down to Bethlehem, which is, you know, as the crow flies, maybe about 60 miles, but she could not have taken that straight as an arrow journey. She would have had to uh, avoid the, the desert and hills uh, and go probably along the Jordan River. So anything that can help us visualize Mary going to Elizabeth, her, her visitation, the two women meeting, uh, both pregnant, Mary with Jesus and Elizabeth with John the Baptist, um, and then Jesus, uh, Mary going back to Nazareth and with Joseph making that journey again down toward Bethlehem and uh, what that was like and, and looking for a place to stay. Again, um, trying to slow down and imagine uh, what it was like for Jesus and uh, or for Mary and Joseph during that time of Mary's pregnancy before she gave birth. Um, that, I think, it, it takes the Ignatian way of praying and using the imagination and can help us in our own anticipation of Christmas. I think that perhaps um, meditating on the joyful mysteries of the rosary is, is a great way to really reflect on what this season is all about, what Advent is all about to prepare our hearts uh, for the coming of, of Jesus. That's a great suggestion, John. And again, you know, I think uh, that's the whole purpose of the rosary. According to St. John Paul II, the rosary is meant to be a very contemplative prayer so that we're just not reciting words, but we're also reflecting on the scenes of those mysteries of the rosary. And so you're right, you know, the joyful mysteries where we have uh, Mary's Annunciation, the Visitation, the Birth of Jesus, His Presentation in the Temple. Those are, you know, the first, uh, within the first year of Jesus' life. And, and then we have when he's 12 years old being found in the temple. Um, that's a, a really great way, again, and I, I think um, to 
make sure that we're continuing to pray a daily rosary. We do that during the month of October, but uh, during Advent is also a great way of slowing down, using the rosary to help us focus on um, the mysteries of uh, the Messiah coming to birth, the Son of God taking flesh and being born in our world. And uh, if I may make a uh, plug for Father Rocky and the Family Rosary Across America, a great opportunity for the whole family to get together around the radio or even on the TV. You can watch it on on YouTube uh, and pray the the, the Holy Rosary with Father Rocky and uh, 100,000-plus who pray with him every single night at 7 p.m. here on Relevant Radio. That's and what a great community, what a great prayer group that is. to, to imagine that I'm, you know, praying with 100,000 other people at the same time um, and and to think of, you know, when Jesus said, we're two or three gather in my name, to think of 100,000 people gathered to pray at the same time, what a power there is in that prayer. Well, I'd like to uh, invite our audience, and this is the fun part. Uh, I want to talk about some of the traditions, the customs that you have in your families. We'd love to hear from you. Advent traditions, uh, because uh, every one of you can help us uh, to have uh, a good Advent. So give us a call, 888-914-9149. We have open lines as we speak, but they don't stay open very soon or very long because uh, they quickly jam up. 888-914-9149. Father Kabiki, we're going to take a a short break, but we're going to continue our conversation about Advent uh, traditions. Stay with us. There's much more to come. Today, we'd like to thank Rosario, who's listening in New Mexico. She donated her Saturn. You can join thousands of other listeners by donating an old vehicle. Visit RelevantRadio.com slash car today. Forty-six minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. Thanks for joining us. I absolutely love that Villancico. That's a Colombian Villancico, a part of the traditional Advent Christmas novena. Welcome back, uh, and uh, welcome back to uh, Father James Kabicki, our spiritual director. Uh, Father, this is so much fun to reflect on all these wonderful Advent traditions that we have. Right, and you know, with the Advent wreath, I'm sure all of our churches uh, began the first Sunday of Advent, the first day of Advent, with uh, a lighting of the first candle. But, you know, it's a tradition that I I really encourage. You can get an Advent wreath or something similar, the four candles, the three that are violet and one that is rose-colored, and and you can use that in your family. And, you know, uh, before having dinner together to uh, light the candles. And it's, it's a, a great way, I think, for children to uh, be invited into the prayer of the church and, in particular, um, the Advent season, uh, not to jump right away into Christmas. Uh, so certainly having a family Advent wreath is, is a good uh, uh, way of, of a family celebrating Advent. Um, you know, the Posada, I, growing up in a Polish-American family, uh, we didn't have the Posada. And the first time I experienced it was out in Alhambra, California, at the Sacred Heart Retreat House that the 
the Carmelite Sisters of the Sacred Heart of Jesus of Los Angeles run, and uh, I was there for an Advent retreat. And as part of that Advent retreat, we had the Posada, where uh, it, you know it's a, the sense of Mary and Joseph looking for a place to stay, going house to house looking for a place, and uh, uh, being received or being rejected. It's it's a wonderful way of remembering again how the Holy Family. Um, approached the birth of Jesus. So I'm wondering if our, our listeners have some other suggestions or traditions that they've had in their family that might be a, a good way for all of us to um, make the most of Advent. Absolutely. Uh, you can give us a call, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Alex is joining us this morning from Maryland. Good morning, Alex. Welcome to Morning Air. You're on with Father Kabicki. Um, so yeah, so our uh, our tradition is uh, at the uh, Advent candles. We have a, a wreath right on the the table, and as we eat dinner, um, you know, obviously it's uh, you know it's winter, so the uh, it's dark now outside, and uh, we turn off all the lights and and that's the the light that we eat by. So for the first week. You know, it's it's fairly dark, and then as we get closer and closer to Christmas, the light comes into the to the the world. It comes into our our dinner, and uh, you know, it's it's a nice way of just really feeling and experiencing that uh, that uh, Advent process. Wow, Alex, that's a really good idea. I, I hadn't thought about that, that you would, the only light you might have during the meal would be uh, the, the Advent wreath and how it, it because, the, you know, the whole point of, of Advent anticipating Christmas is the light of the world, you know, coming into the world. And uh, the four candles uh, represent that and prepare us for that. And so uh, to really, uh, as it were, experience the, the darkness and then the growing light, um, that's a very concrete way of uh, celebrating Advent and helping children and family understand it. So thanks for that uh, little suggestion connected with the Advent wreath, Alex. Thanks so much, Alex. And, and if you'd like to share your family traditions during Advent, uh, we do have some open lines, uh, 888-914-9149. That's 888 Father Kabicki, uh, I had tremendous joy last Sunday uh, lighting our first Advent candle with the family. Uh, we blessed it with holy water and did the traditional prayers. And it was just a beautiful moment at the dinner table uh, to really reflect on what this season is all about, and I, I want to just encourage our listeners, uh, even if you didn't start last Sunday, you can you can pick it up this coming Sunday, the second Sunday of Advent. That's right. That's right. You know, when, when I worked at our Jesuit novitiate in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, some years back, uh, we had a tradition where on the first Sunday of Advent, we took out of a hat, not each other's names, but we took the names of the different nativity figures, you know, from Jesus, Mary, and Joseph to the shepherds, angels, the wise men, um, and depending on how many novices that were part of the community, you know, we would get into the star and the manger and uh, the animals, and then the idea was you were to pray with that figure during Advent, just to imagine, okay, what was that figure, how was that figure involved in the nativity scene, um, 
And, and then on Christmas Eve, we would gather as a community and share what it was like for us to be that particular nativity figure or to pray with that figure during Advent. And uh, during the day of, of Christmas Eve, we, were, we had clay. Uh, one of our community members was an artist, a sculptor, and he would always get clay for us. And, and so we would fashion that particular figure that we were praying with during Advent and then talk about what it was like for us to be that figure, to pray with that figure. And then we put that figure under the tree. So we had our, our own kind of homemade uh, crash scene, nativity scene. Um, and I think that was a really good way for us to anticipate Christmas and to uh, make the most of Advent. That's a beautiful tradition. Uh, I set up our nativity scene on Sunday afternoon, and it, it was fun to uh, put out the, the baby Jesus and uh, and and the sheep and uh, and everybody that's part of our traditional uh, Hispanic um, nativity scene. So uh, it brings back so many memories of of doing the Christmas and the novena in, in Espanol that we would do. You know, the Colombian style novena. In fact, you heard uh, a little uh, excerpt uh, of uh, that music there uh, coming out of the last break. Uh, but uh, so many traditions we, we want to hear from you. In fact, Rosie is calling us uh, from uh, Chicago, Illinois. Rosie, good morning. Uh, happy Advent. Welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Happy Advent. Um, you know, being um, growing up in Mexico, I grew up with uh, Posadas. Um, my sister, uh, one of the years, she dressed up as... Uh, Virgin Mary, and all through the seven days, she would ride on the donkey, and she would, we would go, you know, house to house. Um, that was beautiful, but now living in Chicago, you can't do any of that. And so um, now I'm starting new traditions for my family here. So what we mm-hmm. do, we light the Advent wreath, and we do also, we do the Jesse tree. So every night we light our wreath, and we do the readings for the Jesse tree and hang the ornament. Awesome, okay. Rosie. And, and don't forget, we have the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe in San, San Juan Diego, also here in, in Advent. So that's also a part of our Advent tradition. That's right. That's Mary it. plays is such an important role. Um, and, and I'm sure you're, you're getting ready for the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, uh, a week from this coming Sunday, huh, Rosie? Or we go to the plains to, you know, visit. Uh, if we can go to mass there, um, we go there, or just to visit Our Lady on that day on December twelfth. Yeah, that that's an amazing shrine to Our Lady of Guadalupe in Des Plaines, Chicago. I I was there once, not on the the very feast. I hear it's just amazing how many people come from all over and and walk and pilgrimage throughout the night. Uh, but just to see uh, that fantastic shrine and to see the faith uh, of the people that went into building it, uh, that, that too is a big part of Advent, is that uh, sharing our faith uh, with other people. You know, we always think of Lent beginning with the ashes, and so we, we see the faith of one another um, through the ashes. But I think during uh, the Christmas season, it's really important for us, all of us Catholics, to uh, in some way or another support one another in Advent and making sure it's it's a good prayerful Advent for all of us. Thanks so much, Rosie. Feliz Adviento. And uh, Father Kabicki, uh, thanks so much uh, for being with us. We are just out of time. We're going to have to leave it right there, but uh, we really appreciate your insights as always. Oh, thank you, John. 
Talk to you next week. Many blessings to you. Father James Kabicki, the director of the St. Francis Mission on the Rosebud Reservation. Now it's time for another edition of Glenn's Story Corner. Our story today is called Nikki. In 1979, I was managing a Wendy's in Port Ritchie, Florida. Unlike today, staffing was never a real problem, but I was searching for someone to work three hours a day only at lunch. I went through all my applications and most are all looking for full-time or at least 20 hours a week. I found one, however, buried at the bottom of a four-inch stack that was only looking for lunch part-time. His name was Nikki. Hadn't met him, but I thought I'd give him a call to see if he could stop by for an interview. When I called, he wasn't in, but his mom said that she'd make sure he'd be there. At the accorded time, Nikki walked in. It was one of those moments when my heart went in my throat. Nikki had Down syndrome. His physical appearance was a giveaway, and his speech only reinforced the obvious. I was young and sheltered. I'd never interacted on a professional level with a developmentally disabled person. I had no clue what to do, so I went ahead and interviewed him. He was a wonderful young man, a great outlook task-focused, excited to be alive, for reasons only God knew at the time I hired him. Three hours a day, three days a week to run a grill. I let the staff know what to expect. Predictably, the crew made sure I got the message. No one wants to work with him. We had a crew meeting, cleared the air, and prepared for his arrival. Nikki showed up for work right on time. He was so excited to be working, he stood at the time clock, literally shaking with anticipation. He clocked in and started his training. Couldn't multitask, but was a machine on the grill. And now for the fascinating part. Back in that day, there were no computer screens to work from. Every order was called by the cashier. It required a great deal of concentration on the part of all production staff to get the order right. While Nicky was training during his first shift, the sandwich maker next to him asked the grillman trainer what was on the next sandwich. Nicky replied, single, no pickle, no onion. A few minutes later, it happened again. It was then we discovered Nicky had a hidden and valuable skill. He memorized everything he heard. Photographic hearing. What a skill set. It took three days and every sandwich maker requested to work with Nicky. He was immediately accepted by the entire crew. After his shift, he joined the rest of the crew family, drinking coke like it was water, and then they discovered another Rain Man-esque trait. Nicky was a walking, talking, perpetual calendar. With a perpetual calendar as a reference, they'd sit for hours asking him what day of the week was any particular date, December 22nd, 1847, he never missed. This uncanny trait mesmerized the crew, and then his mom would come in at two to pick him up. More times than not, the crew would be back there with him, hamming it up. As I went to get him from the back, his mom said something I'll never forget. Let him stay there as long as he wants. He's never been accepted anywhere like he has been here. I excused myself and dried my eyes, humbled and brokenhearted at the lesson I had just learned. Nikki had a profound impact on that store. His presence changed a lot of people. Today, I believe with every fiber of my body, Nikki's hiring was no accident. God's timing and will is perfect. This Christmas, I hope we all understand what we are celebrating. We're all like Nikki. We each have our shortcomings. We each have our strong points. But we're all of value. God made us that way, and God doesn't make mistakes. Nikki certainly wasn't a mistake. He was a valuable gift I'm forever grateful for. We're celebrating the birth of the one that leveled the playing field for all of us. God doesn't care if you're rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, black or white. He doesn't care if your chromosome structure is perfect. He doesn't care what level of education you've attained. He cares about your heart. He wants all of us to love and appreciate the gift he gave us on Christmas. His Son, the Savior, our salvation. 
His Son that was born to die for our sins, to pay our debt, to provide us a path for eternity. So this Christmas, let's check our hearts. There's a little bit of Nikki in all of us, and I suspect there's a Nikki somewhere in your life that's looking for the chance to be embraced. Thank God for that. Thank God for his perfect gift, Christ Jesus. From Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Great reminder. Thanks so much, Glenn. Let's continue to pray for the Supreme Court justices in the Dobbs case. It won't be decided until June. Join Father Rocky for the Family Rosary Across America with your prayers tonight. I'm John Morales for the entire team. Thanks so much for joining us.